Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson. Buddy, how's it going tonight? I'm good, man. I'm good for a uh, a night where we don't really have any major topics to cover. We got a full slate of stuff to talk about. So I'm ready to go. How was your day? It was a long day, man. I'll, I'll tell you, a long day from watching, you know, from work in general, where something popped up in the middle of the day that was unexpected. And I was fearful that I was going to have to work till like five o'clock. But luckily, I, I I put the hammer down, got it done, <laughs> didn't have to work over. And then what a day sort of watching the timeline with some of the things going on just west of here. Which we will talk yeah. about. Oh man, yeah. Uh, between you know the uh, Miami stuff over the weekend, and then uh, uh, everything dealing with UVA the last couple of days, it's been uh, it's been kind of fun to sit back and, and uh, enjoy some of the the plight of our uh, you know, two of our biggest rivals uh, as they sort through all their shit, sorting through their crap. Everything's not closed yet on our end. You know, but we're we're slowly matriculating and getting there. We um, at least have a head guy and some other folks on the staff. We're at least filling out a staff compared to just cluster Fs is what I see. And we're going to get into that whole thing later. But, Brian, let's start off tonight with a big recruiting win for the Hokies. Uh, Benji Gosnell playing down – in the Hillsville area, Virginia, this year, originally from Pilot Mound, North Carolina, four star by two four seven sports, six five, two hundred forty pounds. They're listing him as a tight end, but the way it looks, he could play tight end with his athleticism, linebacker, maybe even become a defensive lineman. What do you think of this pickup, especially when it felt like just about a week ago he was getting ready to head down to North Carolina and probably commit there. Brent Pry, J.C. Price, and the new staff jump in, get him to commit. What do you think of him and then the commitment itself? Yeah, this is big because a lot of the work had already been done on him. And then, um, you know, once we moved on from Fuente and some of the other staff was moving on, uh, it became a lot less certain. Um, He was kind of waffling, looking at UNC, but locked it up once the new staff got in place. So that was big. Um, and I think it's good. It's it's another piece that's kind of, you know, we're going to wait and see where he ends up falling in terms of position. Um, but overall, I like the pickup and it, it, it helps a class that was already you know shaping up pretty good. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's that whole what I talked about, what me and you both have talked about the last couple of months. He's six foot five, 240 pounds. He's an athlete. You just you get him in the door and figure out where to go. Um, obviously he's coming off a knee surgery because he was previously committed to Ohio State. But in general, um, you know, the big piece, North Carolina, Ohio State, Arkansas, um, were some of his biggest lists. Also had some interest from Duke, Louisville State, Notre Dame. His commitment list looked good. He is a top in the composite. He is a top uh 350 player, um, you know, so that's good, right? That's that's where we want to stay. We don't want to start dipping much below that with too many guys. Yeah, but exactly. I, 
it's the it's the whole thing of get those big bodied athletic guys in, then figure out what you can do with them. So I really like that. Yeah, if you got a guy with that that's big, has some athleticism, you're gonna find a spot for him, um, whether he fills out one way or the other. Um, so yeah, I like the pickup overall. It should be a uh, uh you know, another 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 good grab there, good one to kind of close out the the cycle. I know we got a couple others that we're we're trying to get in this week that that might be um you know flip season then we got a couple others we're we're kind of concerned about but we're, we're going to talk about that in a little bit here yeah. um but but getting another one com- committed here late in the cycle is a good thing yep i'm sitting here we're both watching the virginia tech cornell game and i was reading on the bottom line and i'm going to we did not have this on the rundown brian bob bowlsby big 12 commissioner saying they are potentially looking at changing the signing day stuff basically because of all the coaching changes and all this let's hit that real quick i mean we're we're old school right we're old school um so for us it's more of we were always used to february you had to hold on to guys through all the off season and coaches leaving not flipping and getting a new coach you got a new coach early if anything it was a blessing because you had roughly two months to get them put a lot of times it was, I'm getting rid of these seven guys. Cause I've got five guys I want and I yep. know I can get them here. So you had five guys that you could potentially either flip from other schools or guys that were committed to the school that you came from that decided to follow you instead of stick it out. So it's interesting. That's being brought up now because the early signing period, if, to me, always helps schools like Virginia Tech because if you had everybody locked in and you got them to sign that LOI, if big boys and the Blue Bloods missed on their you know, top targets, they weren't sniffing around your class to try to steal one because they had that clout. Yep. Um, I would say if they do it, I wouldn't say, you know, bring it to a middle piece maybe. Maybe bring it to a middle piece, bring it early January or something. Um, you know, week, week, week after, after the national championship, there you go. Week after the national championship. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be, it's going to be interesting to find that what they talk more and more about that. So we'll be definitely looking into it. Um, speaking of basketball, Brian, last week, one really good game, huge win up in Maryland. And then I didn't get to see it Saturday. We were on the road, but the, Stats did not look good as we get smoked at home by Wake Forest. Yeah, uh, I w- I watched a little bit of that game. Um, yeah, it was it was one of those nights where you know we were struggling in a lot of phases and they couldn't miss, um, and we didn't do a whole lot to make them miss. Um, unfortunately, probably uh, hands down the worst defensive showing they've had this year. Um, defense kept them in the Maryland game and then they pulled it out of the end. Yep. Um, after a poor shooting, you know, first 25, 30 minutes, um, you know, the last 10, they ended up putting, th- putting some things together offensively and really last seven, uh, if we're, if we're being honest. Um, sure. but, uh, you know, Wake Forest was just kind of a front to back. Uh, I mean, the first half they hung around. Um, because of the defense, and then it was just complete collapse in the second half. Yep. 
And right now up 13 on Cornell, who is 8-1, Ivy League school. But we, we were watching here before we um, jumped on, and it was that kind of that struggle, right? The struggle, the, you know, not coming out of the gate strong um, at all. Um, and to go back to Wake Forest, you know, Wake Forest is 8-1 this year. They're not a bad team. You know, the only loss was to LSU. They beat, like, Northwestern and Oregon State and a couple other Power 5 teams. So, it's not a bad loss, but it just – to me right now where I'm getting worried is every game is the same thing with us, right? Every game is the same thing. And it and I'm not trying to knock Storm Murphy, but it seems the it's the Storm Murphy show regardless. How he does dictates what we do. And I think I mentioned someone tonight, maybe on the timeline, said you've got to get Padula minutes tonight. You've got to see how he can run the show. Because maybe it would be the best thing to let Padula, who is a little more athletic, right, than Storm. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Like, maybe Storm needs to be the sixth man. Come in with, you know, just a couple of the two or three starters, one other person off the bench and run sets versus trying to run everything out the gate that's just my thought might be right might be wrong I don't know yeah I mean I think the big thing is that he is struggling on both ends against kind of those bigger athletic guards that are pretty much commonplace in the ACC for most teams and the other piece of it is that until really tonight and I think a game like Cornell coming after games against Maryland and Wake Forest is probably a good thing for Storm because he can work his way back into his shot because he wasn't trusting his shot really the last three or four games. True. And and that's really kind of, I think, kind of trickled over into other areas of the game because you can overlook some of the deficiencies in his game if, if he's dropping 10 a night. Yeah. But when if, if he's only making, you know, if he's one for six from the field with, you know, two to four points, um, that's not really, that's not worth the trade-off that you had, um, you know, going with someone with, with some of his limited skill set uh, from an athleticism standpoint, from a size standpoint. Yep, very true. All right, let's roll on, talk about Hokies wrestling. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, the loss to Ohio State. Uh, the uh, a top 10 team literally lost in the last match. That's what swung it. Go out to Mizzou and beat number 18 Northern Iowa and then beat number three Mizzou in the last match. I mean, it, it again, it looks like we're going to be another top 10 team, and it's, it's kind of crazy. I didn't get to watch much of that, but I followed the Twitter. First of all, the Hokies wrestling Twitter is worth a follow. Whoever runs that account tries to give as much detail as they can. They try to pull clips in there when things happen. So if you're not able to watch it, you know, because of not having ACC Network or ACC Extra, or if it's not able to be televised, they're really good about, you know, documenting what's happening. But looks like we're another top 10 team. It's going to probably be really cool when Friday Wrestling's in January and February. Um I don't know. It's just it's just great to have another sport to pay attention to um, during football all season. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like you said with the with the Twitter follow, they do a really great job of breaking it down, explaining the situation, um, getting clips in there. 
Um, so it's really easy to follow, um, you know, especially if you don't have access to watch it live. Um, it'd be awesome to for to be able to get to to see some of this uh, in person. Um, looks like it's a lot, lot. A lot of these matches have been pretty intense, so um, that'd be cool to see in person as well. So anybody that's had a chance to get to either Blacksburg or that was that traveled out there to Mizzou, um, I'm sure they got a, a a damn good show. Exactly. All right, Brian. Even as bad as this season was in our eyes at six and six, two guys made first and second team All-American, two freshmen. The first is not a shock. I think he should get some accolades potentially for regular All-American. Hunter Peter Moore, first team All-American, freshman All-American. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Moore did a great job all year. Um, Really, you know, special teams wise, the standout player did a, did a great job punting, um, put us in good situations where our defense could, could potentially get our offense, the ball back, um, and flip field position, pin, pin guys, help us out of tight spots when we're punting deep in our own, uh, on, on in there. So, uh, great job by Peter Moore all year. Uh, then we got another more, uh, that, that, that made for uh, second team freshman, all American game more. A little, little bigger, a little bigger, a little bit bigger. Uh, yeah, Caden Moore, right guard. Um, you know, we had, we had talked a lot about Caden throughout the year. Um, he came on early. He was he was kind of starting out the gate. Um, yeah, as as is customary with Vice, a lot of rotation. So he wasn't always the guy at right guard, but he showed um, you know really good play, especially when when we got later in the season and we started running the ball more. Uh, played a little bit more to his strengths. And I think that's what kind of put it over the top and got him in this position. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. I know something you've always mentioned, Caden, is the nasty streak. It's still there. Um, hopefully with whoever the new offensive line coach is, we won't see constant rotation. I know you probably can understand it if it's occasional rotation. But when you're looking at, like, the third series, it's a new, you know, four, five new guys out there can get upsetting. But – Good for him. Under the radar guy um, that definitely played above his star ranking immediately out of the gate. So great for Caden. Great for the accolades. Great for the team. Um, some of the guys on the team get those accolades. Yeah, right. I mean it was it was a big uh, big run for him there at the end. I think he he finished the season as strong as you could have hoped for a, a guy that's playing as a freshman. Yeah. And, you know, really anchoring the line and what was our strength last year, so which was running the ball um, for Malachi once he got in there and Raheem once they started giving him significant carries, except the Miami game. All right, Brian, let's go to this. We discussed last week some recruits who have reaffirmed their commitment. And today one popped up, and it, it looks good. And I, and I think this was one of the crown jewels, right? We felt Rashad – Rashad Purnell was one of them, but Ramon Brown in-home visit with the coaches looks like, you know, to me, I would say that's a reaffirmation that in seven days he's going to be signing his letter of intent and sending it on down to Blacksburg. Yeah, and we're not getting smoke from anybody else in terms of actual movement uh, on that end. Um, so getting there, locking that up was was big um getting getting coaches in in the building there in the in the household so i'm i think that you know right out the gate in terms of just 
papering the state and like getting around to all the recruits that we've already got in the boat. That's been a, one of the best things I've liked from the staff is just how they're trying to get that closed out um, as best they can, especially for those in-state guys. Absolutely. So essentially he's locked down and, you know, obviously they went up to Northern Virginia today, saw a couple pictures there. You know, if we see any more guys reaffirming it, you'll definitely will be retweeting it, liking it so you can see. Um, but there have been two decommits. I don't think this is a shock um, that there are going to be decommits. The first, um, DeAndre Martin from Life Christian Academy here in the RVA, DeAndre from Durham, decommitted just a few days ago and then flipped to South Carolina. Shane Steele's one. Um, this one hurt because with Martin's size, 6'3", already up in the 285, 290 range, you see contributor day one. Yeah, I think that was the big thing that hurt uh, from that perspective. He's somebody that, as thin as we are on the defensive line, he could have been in that kind of third group probably year one um, and then pressed pressed higher as, as, as things went along there. So um, that one hurts more than uh, – than, some of the others that we've seen lately just because of it being a neat position, especially with Jordan Williams uh, moving on. Uh, we really only have kind of three proven guys uh, on that defensive uh, interior right now um, with another one or two um, that are coming along. Um, so, you know, he, he would have probably stepped in immediately had that kind of, you know, fifth or sixth spot in the, uh, in that rotation. Yep, and he wasn't the only one. Jackson LaHue, the uh, offensive lineman out of Texas, decommits as well. Um, I think it's something else, you know, we probably expected it to happen, losing some of the Texas guys. And, you know, you know, it's not a shock. I mean, you liked his tape. You like some of the stuff he did. But, again, it wasn't one of the crown jewels. It was just a solid piece. Yeah, it's a solid piece. It's a piece that, you know, what the the thing for me is that it was a neat position. The other thing is that while it was a neat position, finding a guy in the rating range of a Jackson uh Lehu in in Virginia in the region probably wouldn't be a hard part a hard hard grab or you know grabbing someone in the portal and I think initially out the gate, I'm more concerned about having a solid starting five going into 22 than I am about necessarily backfilling for the future. Yep. And Jackson wasn't going to be a guy that was going to see any sort of rotational um, duties in 2022. So um, that's one I'm that's one I'm okay punting on. His chance was would have been like 2024 at earliest, earliest probably later than that. So. And again, to fly, come all the way cross country, you get it. Um, you know, obviously this weekend's big, been a big OV weekend. Most of the class is coming down, um, but kind of the big story that's breaking, you know, being starting to be known is Alex Orgy is going to do an official to Michigan. Um, now, I have not heard if the Virginia Tech officials canceled, so he should he could be doing both. There has not been a confirmation that he's canceled the OV here. It's just that now he's going to Michigan. Um, I, I kind of laugh 
because Michigan is starting a freshman quarterback. They're in the playoffs with McNamara. Michigan also has a significantly higher-ranked guy in this year's class. So is it just one of those, I'm going to Ann Arbor just to see it and say I'm there, and then I'm going to show up at Tech on Saturday and I'll sign in a week? Or is this potentially flip? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's definitely a concern just because it's Michigan. Um, this isn't oh, yeah. like, this isn't just a comparable um, number you know, two program. Team in the country. Yeah. It's number two so, team in the country. It's not a. And, you know, Michigan has some, some uh, good qualities outside of just their football program as well. So, yeah, there, there's concern there for sure. Um, at the same time, you know, he hasn't decommitted yet. So I, th- I think the problem that we're having right now is that we need to get some more movement on an offensive staff because yeah. it would be a little bit easier to lock up these high caliber offensive players. If you kind of knew what we were working with on that side of the ball and, you know, based on the whispers we're hearing, there's some good reason for some of it not coming out yet, but you got to start making some movement. If you want to hold some of the offensive pieces in this class, especially the bigger pieces like Alex Orgy. Yeah. Like Alex Orgy. Uh, And that's the big piece is depending on who these hires are. Um, the waiting game is not the best. If there's someone that you can get right now, and I don't care if it's a running backs coach, a wide out coach, any coach that you can officially get in and on staff for offense, get it. At least you have someone for these kids to talk to in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's not the OC yet. So, Hopefully, maybe this weekend with the OVs coming in, a couple guys will get rolled out. Hopefully, Friday before it all happens. Hopefully, tomorrow. Hopefully, just hopefully now. With drop one 10, 10 o'clock at night. No one can complain about it if they like or dislike the guy. Um, but it is. <laughs> I mean, hey, we're all waiting at seven forty-five in the morning, right, for the next uh, big thing to drop. By the way, Hokie's up sixteen, so they have pulled away kind of putting this game out of reach from Cornell in the first half. Good to see, especially after the start. After um, the start and after the uh, the Wake Forest game in particular, I mean, it's nice to see them get back in in, in some in some good form there. True. But let's, let's just say this back to the uh, OVs. If we start, I think if, if Brent Pry has his guys lined up, even if he can't announce them yet for whatever reason, I think what you're probably going to get after this weekend, if he tells the kids face-to-face, which to me he should, you're going to get the smoke. You're going to get the whispers. And then you're going to start seeing what the staff is looking like. Because, again, we're not worried about defense. That's, that's, that's prize bread and butter. The offense, because the offense is a significant harder rebuild right now. We have no quarterback. We're, we're it's yeah, it's it's a harder rebuild, and it's it's going to be it's the more important piece just because of prize expertise because yep. you've got to get a guy that is semi autonomous um, on that side of the ball, Absolutely. or a couple guys that are semi autonomous on that side of the ball because that's not going to be something that prize is going to be hand holding or overseeing. 
Um, it's going to be something that is expected. All right, well, we hired you to do this job. This is how we want you to do it. You need to go and do it. And, yep. you know, it, until we start to see what that's going to look like, it's, you know, and, and no knock on, on orgy. I mean, I think in, in situations like this where, you know, you don't know who your coach is going to be, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I would definitely be looking at least exploring my options, even if I didn't necessarily pull the trigger. Yeah. Because if, if, if you get because if he gets a name, he doesn't like, then it's an easy, well, I've got now an option. So I, you know, you get it. So is what it is. Uh, but as of right now, still committed to the Hokies. Um, Brown, last week we talked about, you know, obviously J.C. Price, Christian Praley retained. No one has else has been officially announced, but the last few days Ryan Smith has been dropping a lot more Hokie stuff, you know, sent a direct tweet to, you know, the new defensive coordinator who we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, even talking about, you know, some fraternity um, slang. Um, you know, what it, What up, Nuke, which, you know, that's what they call Kappas. And I think he's all but staying. A lot of – what do you think? Yeah, I think that's that's where the wind's blowing at this point. Um, he had a period of time there once the regular season was over um, where you didn't really hear a lot from him on Twitter, see a lot from him, um, any smoke like that. And then all of a sudden um, – it was the tweet when uh, Waller got named the cornerback uh, of the year for the Richmond touchdown club um, retweeted that. And then started saying some other, you started tweeting some other hokey specific things uh, as the day was going along, then started welcoming the new coaches in and things like that. So it seems like he's going to be retained. Um, I, I imagine sliding into the safety position, uh, with the next guy we're about to talking about, probably coaching corners. Yeah, so three new hires announced this week. Um, and we're going to start with the first because, man, if if you don't know about the cheetah yet, then you have not been following up. <laughs> Derek Jones is a officially announced uh, coming over from Texas Tech, um, you know, cornerbacks coach, defensive recruiting coordinator. I mean, this guy has been around for over 20 years. Um, you know, started his career at Ole Miss as a grad assistant, worked his way through some uh, schools in the um, kind of in the South and mid-Atlantic, got the Duke back about in 2008 where he coached DB's corners, did some special teams became an associate head coach, um, and in 2020 moved to Texas Tech where he handled the secondary um, and Cody coordinator there for a couple years. He's a guy that pulled four stars to Duke. Um, yeah, he was pulling four-star guys at Duke, which is pretty much unheard of. It um, is. He, he's one of the reasons that in the, the better years of the Cutcliffe era that yeah, they were able to do what they what they did. Um, yeah. Put a competing for a coastal championship team on the field, which is something that I think Duke really, you know, they they weren't competitive for so long before Cutcliffe arrived. 
um, and, and the fact that they were able to do that. And this guy was a part of that and a part of recruiting some of the better uh, players for that defense while he was there. Um, that speaks a lot to his ability to get guys to buy in um, to the message and, and recruiting guys that, you know, are, are sometimes harder to find um, because, you know, Duke, Duke does have a high academic standard that has to be cleared um, in order to, to get those guys on the field as well. So I like the move, you know, we, we look at uh, defensive recruiting coordinator and the social media presence that he has is, um, I mean, it, it's night and day from what we're used to. Oh my God. <laughs> Every, well, he has his mentality. You can, he talks about being in the secondary. It's like being a cheetah about sometimes you have to go on your own. Sometimes it's a team concept. He's got how essentially he approaches coaching down. Yep. He's got motivational quotes. He likes to have fun calling out coach about the picture, convincing coach, <laughs> trying to convince coach Pry to change his picture already since he's now a hokey. Changing the um, handle, changing the picture. Yeah, he, he was all over. Yeah. He was all on him. And, and and it's and again, do you need ten guys exactly like that? No, but do you need some who are very outgoing? Yes. And yep. it's great to see because you know, I I mean, if you if the way it looks is in the morning, you need a good motivational quote for your day. Go to Derek Jones' Twitter account. Give it a few minutes. You're going to get two or three, and it will get your day going. And love it because that energy, man, we hadn't felt that in a long time. Energy's good, and it's good seeing that we're, you know, out in front sharing some of the photos from the recruiting channel because that, that's where a lot of these are coming from, uh, either coming from him, his account directly, yep. or him retweeting it from the, the Hokie football account. So um, the social media presence just from coaches outside of the football account, I mean, we probably seen more tweets from <laughs> from just the what we have right now is the defensive side of the ball coaches than we've seen in the last year combined, oh, uh, yes. except for the one night where where Jay Ham got on and was uh, yeah. going back and forth with uh, <laughs> with, fans. <laughs> with with fans on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like I like the hire. I think it's a good it, it's a it's a high level recruiting move. But it's also a guy that can coach the position. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that it's a good balance there. It's not just a guy that is that is a heavy recruiter, even though he he is that. Yes, um, he is. But but he but he has shown the ability to coach guys up as well and develop talent. Yep. And also the other piece, coaching down at Duke for so long, got a feeling he's got some inroads and probably knows probably a lot of the big schools down in North Carolina. So well, the Carolinas, you probably have them. There's his region. It's the old Charlie Wilde region there. All right, Brian. The next guy that was hired was Sean Quinn. And, you know, the way it's looking, probably going to be Cody line coach with JC. You know, we, we, we speculated on that for a couple of days there until the last hire was made. But not, not, not at a lot of big places, but when we get to the last piece is really the piece that I want everybody to listen to. So um, coach down at Tennessee is a grad assistant in 99 and 2001 coached the offensive line of special teams spent five years with Pry at ULL as a defensive line coach. 
He didn't got an opportunity to go to LSU for a year where he coached ends, done some defensive coordinating at Northwestern State, reconnected with Pride Georgia Southern. He was his linebacker's coach there. Then between Western Carolina, Charleston Southern, defensive, you know, coordinator, coaching linebackers, a couple other stops. And then 2018, he goes to Savannah State. For those who don't know, Savannah State is probably one of the worst foot, collegiate football schools. I mean, they've had like three winning seasons since the program came in in 1898. Bad. Historically bad. Historically bad. This guy goes down there, becomes defensive coordinator, then becomes the head coach and defensive coordinator. His first season as defensive head coach, or excuse me, his first season as head coach, they went eight and two. This year, they won the conference. They had one loss. If nothing else, that speaks to what he is as a coach. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's definitely some layers to that. Um, the the biggest one being is that apparently he was just taking uh, the state salary uh to coach there he wasn't getting any sort of supplemental pay uh to be the head coach there so uh this is a guy that is a coach's coach he cares about coaching he cares about getting guys to achieve the goals that they want to achieve and get them um to to where they want to be um not not someone that's that's hung up on the money part of it or or all those things. So um, this is a guy in the trenches um, doing, doing all the right things, but also a guy that knows his shit and can communicate that and get guys to follow him. So I think that that's a big thing uh, for me with Quinn. Um, Obviously not a ton of power five recruiting experience, uh, but, but you're getting guys to come to these, these schools and, and and show out and show up and I think that's big. So probably this is more of a developmental um type coach, a guy that can get the most out of players that that come yep. in at the position. But it it doesn't seem like he would be a a liability on the recruiting front at all. No, um and I'm going to go back the records I, I did miss look at the records. 7 and 3 in 2019 and this year uh, I lost it. 8 and 2 this year. Either way, for that university, 15 to three in two seasons is just impressive. Also, let's again start thinking about where he's been at Savannah State, Georgia, Georgia Southern, Charleston Southern, Western Carolina, Tennessee Tech. He's been in that Georgia corridor. And I say being at Savannah State for the last three, four years, again, it's the state we go into. It's one of our supplemental states, right? It's in our footprint. Yep. Again, you, you got a feeling recruiting at Georgia Southern as their RC, he probably knows the coaches down there. So it's that same old, same old that we talk about. You've got to have the connections at the school. And occasionally you've got to take the developmental guy, pull him in to where maybe the big guy comes through. And even though he might not come, he starts giving you a look. So I think I think he's our Georgia guy. I don't know about Florida but it'll be interesting. 
Yeah, he's definitely got some some roots there in that kind of Georgia, South Carolina, um, at least you know southern part of the southern part of South Carolina there. So um, that that's the region that he'll be handling probably long term, um, along with probably you know working with uh, some of the other coaches on Virginia guys. Yeah. Now, finally, we were all kind of wondering: Are we going to have co-DCs? Are we going to have a defensive coordinator? Are we going to have run? Well, that was answered. Chris Marv is hired. He is going to be the DC. He's going to be the linebacker coach here. And Brian, you know, we looked at his biography. He's 32 years old, which is wild. Um, It will make him one of the youngest um, defensive coordinators in the country. Um, He's only been coaching since 2014, where he started at his, you know, his alma mater, Vanderbilt as a quality quality control coach for defense, got a GAs and outside linebackers and inside linebackers for three years when Derek Mason was there. So although Derek Mason did not have the success there he wanted, Derek Mason's a very good defensive coach. Don't let that pass you by. Plus, who did he play for? Pry. He played for Pry. He was his inside linebacker. After 18, went down to Mississippi State, um, run game coordinator, linebacker coach, then moved over to Florida State where he got extended earlier this year. Um, what do you what do you think of him right now? I mean, he's 32 years old, Brian. I mean, that's just holy moly. Yeah, this is definitely like up-and-comer, um, could be long, long-term solution at the at the defensive coordinator position if it works out. Um, you know, obviously run game coordinator linebacker coach at FSU. Um, everything that I've read and heard about this guy is that he is sound in X's and O's sound in developmental. Um, the only really area of weakness in his game right now is, you know, a experience calling plays, but as Pry said in his inner, in, in the, uh, opening presser yep. he would call plays until he was comfortable handing that off to, to the defensive coordinator number two his recruiting um profile is not necessarily outstanding um it's not a liability by any stretch but at the same mm-hmm. time he's not a he's he's not Derek jones um yeah. on, on the trail and you know some of this is a little bit of a sour grapes i think amongst the the florida state contingent that saw him lose a couple battles to in state teams and didn't like it um you know there's a reason he got extended after 1 year there's a there's a reason that um you know yeah Let's let's look at it this way. So 2020, you don't really get to visit anybody. You don't get to do all that. And you open the season, uh, the next season, with a loss to uh, Jacksonville State. So um, I'm sure that had some impact on 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 how some, some of the folks he was recruiting viewed uh, that situation. Yeah. At the same time you know, he's not winning battles that are potentially winnable. So 
on the recruiting front, I'm not sure what we got, but when we look back at Bud Foster, Bud Foster was not a good good recruiter. Right. Um, historically, he didn't really start recruiting heavily until the the latter portion of his career. Um, yeah, he was pretty much, you know, I'm the coordinator. I call the plays. I you know, and I think we're getting a little bit of a similar tight mold, a um, little bit even younger than, than Bud was when he first got the tap there. But yep. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a net positive on this hire. Um, I, I think, I, I think the, the upside uh, is greater than any drawbacks that, that we yep. can look at here. Yep. And one of the bigger upside is two of his biggest, his two biggest commits ever were Alston orgy and Anthony orgy. <laughs> Big brother to Alex Orgy. So, if nothing else, him coming in there. And like you mentioned, I mean, the guy was on in the last, since about 2017, 30 under 30, top 40 under 40. He's been on those lists. He had some guys drafted pretty high that he mentored. So, I think X and O in developmental and it's one of these things, too, the way we've kind of outlined it with having guys like J.C., having guys like Derek Jones, having a guy like Quinn who is, you know, he might not have recruited the biggest, but he's been in recruiting coordinators, understanding, and potentially having Ryan Smith come back. It might be one of those things of, listen, they're going to handle all of the, re- the real recruiting aspects. Now, they will need you to come in and give the X and O presentation, like, like any company, you have some guys who are great salesmen, but occasionally, okay, we need our technical guy to come in. We're going to have this nice little frame for him. This is what he is going to present. He'll answer questions, and he'll move forward, and we'll continue the selling process. So I I, I think it'll be okay. Um, he's already in Blacksburg. I'm sure hopefully he'll be hitting the road with the guys and obviously in town for the OVs. So, again, really big there. Um Something that we knew that had to happen, and man, that it happen in the last couple weeks. Trey Turner, Amari Barno, James Mitchell, Jordan Williams, Ledeford Smith, and today Brock Hoffman all declaring for the draft. Um, I'm not shocked. No, only, only one of those is playing in the bowl game. That's Brock Hoffman. Yeah. Well, Mitchell can't. With Trey banged like he was banged, he shouldn't. Yeah. Um, Leticus had the ankle at the end of the year. He shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and, and I get it. Only. I mean, okay. jo- Jordan was nicked, but played. He, he didn't have anything significant, so he played through it. I mean, yeah. so. Um, and obviously, you know, I don't know what the you know. Barno may have had something that was that was going on as well, but you know, there's really no, you know the excuses don't really matter here. I mean, everyone's making a choice for themselves here. Um, and, and that's a, that's a good thing overall. I mean, yeah, this would be different if we had, you know, we got a new regime coming in. It's a, it's a little bit different, I think. Um, and this is kind of what we're seeing if guys that are going to the NFL, if it's a meaningless bowl game, then, you know, if, if, if they're done, they're done. And and that's, I told Brian today, this they're inviting Trey. I don't know if Jordan and the other guys are getting invited. But make this, if, if you choose to opt out, that's fine. Bring the guys with you. Let them be part of the team experience one more time, regardless what they're doing. Make that a thing. Make that a thing. Um, 
Now, I'm going to say this. I really think Amari Barno and James Mitchell should – I really wish they would come back. Um, Barno is just – he's not there yet. It's going to have to be – I heard somebody – I channeled somebody, and he could go third round or he could not be drafted. He could be a project. The NFL – isn't doing projects as much anymore in the first three to five rounds or the first five rounds. Yeah. They're looking for guys. Listen, you got to be a play. They're, they're looking for guys that at least have to be, have a rotational role year one. Yeah. yeah. Six and sevenths are still some developmental, but there's, there's only what 64 to 70 picks usually with supplement. Yeah. It's not a lot of guys you're looking at going free agency. To me, for James Mitchell, the reason I would be trying to sell him to come back is James not going to show what he is. We, me and Brian were kind of doing the timeline. He probably could show for a pro. He's not going to get to Indy to do that. No. Unless he's a freak, which he, you know, he could heal like a freak, but it's not going to be the freak that we know him as. Yeah. He, he'd be working back into shape even if he was able to go on it. Um, and whereas everybody else is getting most of December and all of January and part of February to gear up. Yeah. So at at best, he's going to have a week, maybe two. Yeah. Um, and that's if he can make Indy, he, he has a better shot at making a pro day. Yes. Um, and, and getting a show out there. Uh, and and I think the the bad thing for us is that he's shown flashes of his ability, but because of how we used him in the offense, we we never really showed the high end of his ability. True. And I think that's that's the bad part of of this injury for him is that uh, you know he's not going to get to show off his athleticism at the combine on top of coming off a year where he pretty much missed the majority of the year yeah. followed by two years where he didn't really get used properly in the offense. He never got used properly. Now, luckily for him, the moments he flashed, he flashed like yep. you could see it. Um, but if, if that guy had been in an offense that really showed him probably seven, 800 yards, probably. Well, it's, it's the consistency of the targets, right? It's, you know, yeah. when we got in the ball, it was fine, but we just didn't, go to the effort of getting him the ball often enough. It was never that game plan that you wanted of, he needs 12 targets. Well, what if they start double teaming? If they start double teaming, there's going to be so many more things that open up for us, you dip shits. No, there won't be because we <laughs> threw it to the <laughs> predestined receiver every time. <laughs> Going to James. He's quadruple covered. It's his ball. Dumbasses. All right, let's move on. Um, the portal review, something we're going to keep in the rotation. Um, really, nobody else has went in. Nobody else has went out. Daryl Bailey did commit to USF. Good for him. Um, yep. And the smoke around Tavion right now is he's getting heavily recruited by a lot of different schools, SEC. Um, and that's the other reason why we're – it's like you've got to get someone in the offensive room that can sh- sell him what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, Even getting one or at least get either your, the wide receiver uh, coach in here or your OC 
even if you're not ready to fill out the rest of the the staff yet. And I know some of this is timing with with other pieces, and and that's that's a big thing. But you know, you don't you don't want to keep sitting on your on your hands on the offensive side uh, while a guy like Tavion Robinson dips because. It's one thing if you lose Alex Orgy. It's another thing if you start losing some of the other younger offensive piece, pieces on this team to the transfer portal, because that just makes your your job this off season all the more harder trying to find other guys to replace them. Very true. All right, Brian. So the Hokies did not have their worst fears revealed with the announcement of the bowl game. We did yeah. not get sent to Annapolis. We did not get sent to Charlotte where we'd have to face Shane, and that would be great. But they get sent to the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium in New York City to face an old familiar foe in the Maryland Terrapins. How do you feel about the matchup? I know two weeks from tonight we're going to do our in-depth episode, but how do you feel about it so far? Does it matter? Because I haven't seen their opt-out list. I'm sure they've got just as many. Um, I think it's going to be different for us just because we're going through a coaching change. Um, we, we will probably see a little bit more attrition because we're going to see probably a handful of guys hit the portal and have the opt outs, um, on an already somewhat thin roster, uh, that, that we kind of, you know, put a band aid on to finish the season. Um, uh, so that, that's really my concern at this point is, making sure that we we can get a good team out there. Uh, win or lose, I want to see a lot of youth hit the field. I want to see what they can do in that in a in a in a game against you know a solid caliber opponent. Um, and hopefully we don't just we we want to win the game obviously, but I want to see a game plan that takes advantage of all the pieces on the offensive side of the ball, and well, not just that- not just you know turn into a uh, Patriots team uh, on Monday night football against Buffalo, where we're just going too tight in and running every time. Very true. Well, you you play to win the game. So running would be probably what we do more of, but certainly at least the next three weeks, because it's three weeks from night is the, the three weeks from today is the game. At least these young guys will be getting, those extra reps. And luckily, having hopefully JC and Smitty, hopefully Smitty, there, they can begin dictating what we want. Like, well, I'm going to go run him at wide receiver. No, Dwayne's going to run wide out. Well, I'm doing this on the line. No, he's playing line. And, you, and it, it, it sounds like a jerk move, but it's like you have two guys on staff who are looking to the future, not looking for yeah. this one game. I think that's a big key. Now, Brian, obviously the other piece, and it's been you know discussed by numerous people, is this is a big game too because of the relationship with the Yankees that happened after four sixteen. Yep. Yeah that that's been big, and you know it's been talked about um, between uh, the players coming down, um, you know, playing on campus, uh, wearing the uh, the VT hats. Uh, it, it's been. Uh, a, a really solid relationship uh, that was built around, unfortunately, tragic events. Um, but it's good to see kind of that that getting pushed forward um, again with this with this bowl bid. Um, and it's going to be interesting watching a bowl game 
being played in uh in Yankee Stadium. Uh a game I care about, I I should say. I mean I've 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 watched pieces of some of them. Yeah, some of them before. It's, but it's it's the midweek, mid afternoon game, which you know, I'm actually kind of looking forward to because we're the 215 game that day. That's one of those that's like for us who are we're gonna be off that week. That's like one of those like really prime spots. It's like it's after lunch, but it's gonna end before dinner. Yep. So, you know, that really good window of this is the greatest time to have a game. Because yeah. I'm yeah, gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna probably be uh, uh you know watching the game and packing shit because you know yeah, uh, you know, if, if you guys see the boxes behind me here, uh, I'm packing my house because I'm moving uh, in the next couple months. So be on the lookout uh, sometime <laughs> later this off season. You're going to see me in a new room recording these bad boys. So, yes, he is. All right. Now, guys, we've got some more stuff to, you know, look at. We're going to be looking at. Obviously, we're going to be picking some of the early bowl games. We're going to be talking about other coaching changes, the impacts on you know the country as a whole, and the CFP after we take a quick pause with a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian, let's start and look at the college football playoff. Obviously this weekend, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati win to stay in. The committee keeps Georgia in at 12 and one. Um, you know, let's talk about these matchups. Let's talk about just high level Bama Cincinnati. Is this going to be a game, or do you think the Bama we saw Saturday shows up and potentially steamroll Cincy? So, my concern, obviously, with any game that Bama's in is the amount of time that Saban has to prepare for it. So, national title, all bets are off because. There's only so much he can do in advance. Games like this, Fickle's going to have his hands full. I think this, you're probably going to see Bama playing on offense and defense with the same type uh, of play you saw against Georgia. I don't know if since he's going to be able to to match that. Um, they might be able to slow down Bama's offense, but I don't know if they're going to be able to score enough points. Yeah, I mean, essentially Nick's got 26 days to prep for it. Now, here's the only thing I will say and why you, you, you give them a puncher's chance. This isn't the Alabama of last year on offense. They've stumbled at times. This isn't the defense of the mid-2010s when they were holding people to eight points a game. They've yep. been scored on. Even Georgia scored on them with a really pedestrian quarterback and just kind of a ho-hum offense. Cincy is going to have to take some super high risks. I mean, fourth and two at your own 35. Yeah, we're going for it. All right. Yeah. Uh, fake field goals, fake punts, onside kicks. Anything you've got trick-wise, got, got to pull it out. Yeah, um, I, you don't want to be reckless, but at the same time, you want to take as many calculated risks as you have in the book. 
see, I'm I'm the opposite. Reckless. Why not be reckless? No one's giving you a shot. If you hit on, if you take seven or eight really reckless plays and you hit on two, it could be a momentum swing. Yeah, but if you play stupid. cautiously, if you yeah, you can't play stupid. Um, you, you don't want to. I mean, you don't want to essentially treat it like you know when you're playing Madden and you're like, all right, well, it's fourth and twelve on my own thirty-eight. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I know what to do here. <laughs> I've got the perfect play call. It's the same play call I had on third down. It's just going to work this time. <laughs> I had the perfect play call, and I just. I held X too long and I overthrew it. Um, what about the other game, Brian? Michigan, Georgia. Um, what do you feel on that one? That's going to be a battle. Um, I think it's Michigan's game to lose, though. Um, I, I think that unless Georgia is going to give JT a shot while, okay. while they're, while they're uh, preparing for this game, and at least have that in their pocket. It's it's a game that George is going to need Stetson Bennett to win it, and I don't think he can do it. No. So, yeah, I, I like Michigan early, but you know it, it depends on what we start hearing out of that uh, that Georgia practice session. Where I think that well, if JT comes back, that's fine, but that's going to be his first live game, and I mean. The, the defensive line of Michigan is SEC. I think the defensive line is personally better than Alabama's this year. And Bama had such success. I think the linebacking court isn't as good as, you know, as Will Anderson, who's a freaking TFL machine, probably should be in New York City Saturday, but he isn't. That would be your worry, right? First live game action in like two months is going to be against that elite unit. Where I fear is going to happen is – Michigan's going to – this is going to be one of those, like, 17, 17 games late. And it's like whoever makes just one blunder, that's the game. They're both good defensively. Michigan it clearly has a strength running the ball. That is Georgia's defensive strength. I look forward to watching that game. Both All these games are on New Year's Eve, which let's just hark this. If the Rose Bowl wants to be at five, I think the I think what they've got to do is just say, New Year's Day, if the Rose Bowl is not the game, we're going to put one kicking at one, we're kicking one kicking at 830. And, and, and just sandwich the Rose Bowl in there, make the Rose Bowl look stupid. Because they're the they're essentially the reason it's not everything's not on New Year's Day at four and seven. They are caring more about tradition. Then I mean, no one's saying you can't have the parade when you want to have the damn parade. Just play the fucking game at a different time. Well, the only the, the thing is, the parade could happen the day of, and you could do that. You could do a night game on New Year's Eve and an eight o'clock kick, where the whole country would be watching. Um, I, you know, what we got to talk about Brian. The one other thing, Brian's twelve here, so. Brian, the remaining of the top 12, and this year it works perfect because all the Power 5 teams are in. We have a G group of five team in, right? So here are your matchups. First of all, let me ask this. The top four teams this year, do you feel that any of the teams 5 through 12 could beat them? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm with that this year. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's really. I mean, we saw that Georgia's fallible. Um, Bama's been fallible. Michigan's um, fallible. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at quality of losses, and I mean, Georgia and Michigan probably have the best losses, mm-hmm. and those are probably the only two teams that you would say, all right, well, they, based on their their whole resume are a step ahead of where everybody else is. Yep. Yep. All right. So here would be the matchups, Brian, if we went through the five through 12. Notre Dame-Pitt. That would be a clash of two styles, the Notre Dame defense against the Pitt's offense. Six and 11, Ohio State-Utah, same way. A clash of two styles, offense versus defense. A rock fight. That would be Baylor and Michigan State. Take the under. If that thing was, it would probably be like 43 and a half. Take the under. I don't think anybody's getting to 40. And then contrasting style. And I think we're getting this one Mississippi, old Mississippi, old Miss, excuse me, Oklahoma State. That's the Sugar Bowl this year, right? I believe you're right. Yeah. I have to go check. But intriguing matchups, if intriguing venues. And there's one other thing, Brian. That I think this would make you happier, right? Because when you have a team, 10,000 analysts, you're going to figure out what they do good, what they do bad. If you have 26 days. If everything's done correctly, the most time anybody would have, we're saying two weeks, right? Because in your thing, we move back a week everything, correct? We move back a week. Everything gets moved back. Conference championships are on the Saturday. The opening round of the playoffs would have been last weekend. We skip. We do Navy Army this weekend. And then next weekend, week before Christmas, it's the quarters. And then obviously New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is the semis. You would there's not gonna be a big there's essentially going to be just basically like getting a bye week, right? Yeah. You won, you get a bye week, then you're playing. It, it wouldn't be any more than a bye week. You, you get a little bit of extra prep, uh, you know, about three more practices, four more practices, um, a little bit of extra time to watch some tape, but nothing that would give you a decided advantage if you have an army of analysts compared to your opponent. Yeah. So, again, I mean, again, that's in discussion, the eight and the 12. I, you know, it's coming. What it's going to be will be interesting, but we know we're on the 12 boat. It's too much money for them not to do it at this point. They're going to do something. They just have to decide which one, which way they're going. Exactly. All right. Let's hit this, Brian, the game of headsets. Because, man, did this is this affecting Virginia Tech in so many different ways. The big one is Brent Venables goes back. Back to Oklahoma. Dabo is losing the best thing that ever happened to him. Yep. Down at Clemson. Dabo is losing the thing that took him from having a very good ACC team to having the team that's dominating the conference. And winning national titles. Uh, We said it last week, you know, we said it like we talked about Stoops and we'd said Brent Venables is the guy. And obviously it looks like he was the guy 
they just had to wait for the um they had to wait for whatever reason for that last week to go by um even though Clemson wasn't playing um I'm I'm interested to see who Dabo gets because he's not going to find anybody of that cal. There is no one of that caliber out there right now, um, in my opinion. Yeah, Venables is like one of maybe three in the country. Um, yeah. So, and the other two are already coaching somewhere else that is of equal or greater ilk. <laughs> yeah. So it will be super interesting to see who he goes and gets. Um. I mean, and applaud to Venables for taking the leap. It took him a long time to do it. It, I mean, it was being speculated on five, six years ago that he might go and do it. He stayed a while, coached his sons, but now he's moved on. Yep. Um, and you feel for him because he's going to the SEC, likely in the West. So, yeah, he's 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 making a move from arguably one of the top three easiest top three or four easiest uh, divisions to win in to probably the most difficult to win in. Yep. 100%. All right. Even though this is not official yet, it appears that Tony Elliott will be the next coach of UVA. Maybe. Who who the hell knows after what happened today. It's been a weird 48 hours for UVA. There's been a lot of emotions from UVA fans out there. Um, You know, uh, it's been interesting. Um, They all but thought that Anthony Poindexter was going to be the guy. Um, And then that fell through. And there was a lot of, a lot of feelings on the timeline on Twitter, a lot of feelings uh, amongst UVA folks that I had talked to. So, you know, I think Tony is probably a good fallback in this situation because while you're not getting someone that is an absolute culture fit, like Dex, you are getting someone that can recruit, has shown the ability to recruit uh, everywhere he's been. What you're looking at, though, is that, you know, we, we talked about it when we did our uh, our breakdown, is that Tony's never coached outside South Carolina, never, never. been a head coach. What What's that going to look like? Well, it's also a bigger thing. You know, he was one of the guys we looked at and we thought last year would be a great fit for Tech. I thought he'd be, we still thought he'd be a good fit for Tech this year. A, because we're a football culture. We are spending money on football facilities, upgrading, putting more money into the coaching staff. Yep. UVA's not. And no. And their facilities are 25 or 30 years old. Where our updates happened 15 years ago, and now we've essentially modernized everything. It's not just like a nice update. They're literally going to have to gut and redo everything when they updo their facilities. So it's not going to be a few years. It's probably going to be a I would say a three to four year project. So there's that. Then you've got people completely turned off. I mean, they literally, parts of that AD went out to the ceremony for Poindexter for his Hall of Fame, right? And they just left him and did not hire him. Which, that's going to rub a lot. There's probably some big money donors that are just going to be like, boop. The donors were ready to open their wallets for facilities if Dex was the man, 
I don't know if they're still he- I don't know if they're still open with 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 Tony out there. Um, you know, I think again, it, it's it's a, probably a good hire for them, but I think the way it went down with Dex leaves a bad taste in folks' mouths, and you don't quite have the swell of enthusiasm behind it that you would have gotten with Dex, just because I mean, Dex was the perfect culture fit. A uh, guy from the Welsh era, guy that uh, can get them back to a defensive-minded approach, mm-hmm. um, and a guy that I think could really motivate folks off the field as well, get to the fan base engaged in the, in in that football team again. Uh, because I mean, you know. When I was growing up, uh, you know, the, the Virginia Tech and UVA games I watched were fucking dog fights. Yeah, they were. I mean, and it, and they were they were they were dog fights with even when it was at Scott Stadium, there was a lot of people in the fans. Now it, it wasn't ever a Lane Stadium atmosphere, but it no. wasn't what everyone's been talking about the last twenty twenty five years. Yeah, the issue is the thing about why you thought Poindexter was perfect is the most competitive the Commonwealth Cup had ever been in modern age was during those 90s when he was on some of those teams. It's kind of funny because we also look back and we think about Brent Pry was part of some of – he was part of 95. The Drunken Miller, you know, if you've not heard Bill Roth say it, then, again, how big of a fan are you? The greatest comeback I've ever seen. And then Antonio Banks picks off, runs one the other way into the end zone as the game ends. The – Remember the UVA coach, the trip. They tried to trip him. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of feel for Tony because I feel like Tony's in a, in a, in a no-win situation because they're going to give him six, five, six years. And Tony's going to have to win over that group really fast. And if I he doesn't, he it's, it's going to be a tough, tough slot. I think he can with the personality, but I think there's going to be some rough sledding. It's going to be ugly for a couple years. Now, talking about ugly, a month ago, if we made a prediction, Mario Cristobal will be the next Miami head coach. I don't think that would have shocked us one bit, would it? No, I mean, we we saw that they were at least flirting with that. And, you know, Cristobal, a Miami guy, um, not just Miami, but born and bred Miami. Born and bred Miami, rings from the championship era. Yeah, yeah. so if you said that was happening, that would shock me. If you said they would pretty much offer the job while they were still having Manny go into recruits houses to recruit, um, um I would have said, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> shit show. Shit show. I mean, it's cool that you, you want to hire Cristobal, but as soon as you were getting those contract talks with him, you have to pull guys off the road. Yeah, the season's over. It's not like it's not like it's not like the season's still going on. Like once the season's oh. over, I mean, get get rid of his ass. Well, yeah, and I mean, yeah, I know, I know some. Everyone's like, well, you know, Manny pulled this shit with Temple. Yeah, he did, and that 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 is what it is. You, you could crucify Manny for that and still say it's fucked up to do it now in this situation. But hold on, <laughs> the whole thing with Manny though doing that is Manny left under the assumption Rick was staying. He, he went out and he found his, his first head coaching job, right? Yeah. 
Rick pulls out of nowhere of health reasons I'm leaving. Well, shit. If I, because I have a feeling if Manny had been told that 10 days prior, I don't think Manny would have ever attempted to get the temple job. This only, I, I agree. I agree. But you still had what seven players uh, sign on to Temple uh, in the interim. It's true. It's true. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> the whole thing about this is the second they had Cristobal potentially signing, they should at least, you want to keep the, the assistance on the road. That's fine. He might potentially keep somebody on staff. You at least pull Manny off the road. Like, listen, you need to, you need to come back. Why? Yeah. Well, because you're not going to have a job. Um, you, you do what we did, essentially find that one or two guys that you know you're probably going to retain, and, and say, you send them out on the road. Exactly. Um, but clearly Miami is all in because it announced today, it was reported over the weekend, um, Clemson AD Dan Regnatich, I think that's how you pronounce his name, is going there from Clemson. Um, so he is in Miami. Uh, graduate, so again, back home. But we kind of look, D.C. gone, O.C. gone, A.D. gone. Dabo is uh, Dabo is a really good coach. We're about to find out. We're going to find out. <laughs> if he is a really good guy at evaluating who his coaches are, we're going to find out. Because, you know, even with the struggles this year of Tony Elliott, you know, finishing somehow below us in total offense. I'm still trying to figure that out with all the talent there. Um, You know, it's an empty room. And now he's a little bit behind because of how everything goes down. I'm sure he was given days notice of, you know, both Tony and Brent leaving, but it's something that he has not had to do in a long ass time. Yeah. Has that doing a long time um, and is somewhat behind um, some of the other competition in, in filling some of these spots. I mean, we, we beat him out in filling out most of our defensive roster. I know not, not necessarily the guys we're targeting were some of the guys he'd be targeting, but um, it's going to be interesting because I mean, we still don't know. I mean, do we know how many folks are following Brent to Oklahoma? We don't know how many folks from, uh, Clemson's offense or following Tony. Um, there's still a lot of pieces to kind of fall into place. Um, so Dabo's going to have some work to do. And Dabo had a quote today that doesn't bode well for him adapting to what he's facing right now. Can you, can you read that real quick? I read it earlier, but I, I don't want to do it verbatim. Hang on. Let me, let me locate it here. Cause it was, it was, Ooh, it's ugly. Efforting. 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 All right. Dabo Swinney on whether college football was in a good place with NIL money flowing through the sport. No. College football is not in a good place for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of change going on, and I think some unintended consequences with that. Well, let's see. The players are benefiting, um, right? Yeah. The players are benefiting. The, the players are benefiting that when they get sucked into a school that's not their fit, they're benefiting. Um, it, it seems like the only person not benefiting is someone like Dabo Sweeney. We are fans are benefiting. 
correct? We're benefiting. We're seeing potentially a 12-team playoff where we feel our team has a chance to get in. Yep. Which hurts Clemson. Everything he's talking about is it's Clemson specific. Most most schools are very excited about NIL to give And I, I I don't fault him for being self-interested, but there's it got, it, there's a difference between advocating for your case and essentially shitting on anything that yeah. makes your job harder. Guess what? And Some of the schools learn how to read a room. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> like like right now, I would, at, at this point, you got to if you're not on board with NIL and if you're not on board with how to take advantage of the transfer portal, then you're going to get left behind at some point. You are. You're lucky that you've got the talent and that you've had the horses and that you've had the coaches to keep you at the top more or less um, through the early days of this, but it, it's only going to get, you know, deeper in here. Um, you got to adapt or die. Um, and, sure you know, the, the the church money is not the only money in the game anymore. <laughs> and we will move on after that statement. <laughs> um, I've seen nothing on Oregon yet. It's a really good job, whoever lands there. Um, I, I'm sure that'll break probably sometime this week with everything happened with them. But Oregon's had to do this a couple times over the last few years. They've ended up okay. They've been poached like three times in the last few years. They they've landed on their feet every time. Um, you know, I think with the money that Nike pours into it and all the the donors in that area, yeah, they tend to. And, and the fact that the Pac-12 overall has just been more or less right. down. Um, they've been competitive in their conference every year, and they've been in an up year. They've been you know, fighting for a playoff spot. So, yep. Yep. I don't think, I don't think that changes much. They might take a little bit of a step back with Lincoln Raleigh at USC. They got another horse in the, in the West coast to compete for recruits now. Um, so that'll be interesting, but Oregon's never had to go toe to, they never really went toe to toe hardcore with, with USC, even in the, in the good years and we're still competitive. So, yep. We'll see if they continue that trend. Exactly. Duke, uh, uh, Will Healy, Jason Garrett, um, Mike Houston. Chadwell. Chadwell. Well, I don't know. I don't think Chadwell. <laughs> you don't think Chadwell's a fit at Duke? <laughs> I don't think he's a fit there. Uh, Duke will figure out something. I mean, you feel for whoever walks into that to go into cut shadow, but you know, they're down. And the, the thing is, it's going to take them a long time to get back up unless it's the right perfect fit. Um, yeah. And today, more musical chairs. The Louisville AD is headed down to FSU. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, the uh, the ACC is just swapping ADs, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I don't I don't know. Obviously, the track record is, I can't remember how long he's been there, but you know, you know, I, it seems like FSU might. It seems like a money move. Like maybe this AD knows how to generate funds because Louisville's always been pretty good at that. Where FSU, after paying out like nine million, ninety million dollars in coach buyouts and probably getting prepared for another one next year, got to figure out a way to raise more money. So it's very interesting. 
right, Brian. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, if this is going to be something that helps FSU. Um, you know, they've never had a problem with getting money into their program, but when you're, as you said, when you're pouring out money for buyouts and things like that, at some point, the well starts to run a little dry, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Eventually, it has to. I mean, Lord have mercy. <laughs> All right, Brian, let's get to pick them. We've got one more Saturday pick them, and then we're going to start our bowl pick Um For the year, I'm still trying to figure this out. I must have put a wrong number. Essentially, Brian's 70, 61, and 2. I'm 74, 54, and 2. Brian, four and six last week. I was three and seven. It was my worst week since week one. Um, so, but again, if you have been betting on ours, we would have made you money. We are yeah. better than a coin flip, almost three to five for both of us. Um, and this week, Brian, great game. It, it's one of those must watches. I've been told by my neighbor it's a must go to if you can. You can find the loot to get the tickets. Army, Navy. Um, where is that this year? Give me a second. Let me effort that real quick. Army, Navy on CBS. We are in New York City at MetLife Stadium. All right. Army, eight and three. Navy, three and eight. Army is laying seven points, buddy. I will lead this. Uh, Navy is down and Navy is down bad. Um, take the under, the over under is, um, you know what the over under is? What you got? He's 35. Still take the under. Yeah. And I'm going to go army. I'll lay the seven. I think army wins this game by somewhere between 14, 21 points. I, I think they'll dominate Navy. Yeah. I think this is army all the way. Um, give me like a, t- 24-6 or 24-7 uh, game. Yeah. Navy's just not what they were. And essentially they all run the same thing. And it's just, I guess it's just played out at Navy. All right, Brian, it is bowl season. Believe it or not, y'all, bowl season starts next Friday night or Friday afternoon with the Bahamas Bowl. Toledo versus Middle Tennessee State. We saw Middle Tennessee State, obviously, earlier this year. Um, I am very surprised. If I was like a P5 player, I would be pounding on our 80s door and be like, why can't you do the Bahamas Bowl? Like, I would love to go to the Bahamas a week before Christmas (laughs) to just hang out, ride jet skis, and lounge. But we are not doing point spreads in these games just because, A, this game is over 10 days out. And, A, we like doing picks during the year because we're following everything pretty close. I can't tell you who's out. I can't tell you who's in, who gets hurt during practice. We're just picking this straight up on what we think of these teams during the year. And, Brian, I'll let you lead. Toledo, Middle Tennessee State, who you got? Uh, I'm going to take Middle Tennessee State in this one. All right. What about you, man? What you got? I think Toledo. I think Jason Candle down there. um, You know, always a competitive down in the MAC. So, I'm going to take Toledo. So, I'll go opposite of you on that one. All right. 
Next one, the Cure Bowl, Coastal Carolina versus Northern Illinois. Um, you know, obviously Coastal really had a downfall at the end of the year when their quarterback got hurt. Um, you know, this game is down in Orlando. It'll be on next Saturday at six o'clock. So Saturday? Oh no. No, Friday at six. We have two bowl games next Friday, Brian. Um, six o'clock kick. Tis the season. Um, I'm gonna throw this out here for you. Somehow Coastal's a ten and a half point favorite. I'm taking Northern Illinois coming off that big win in the MAC championship game. Um, and without a uh without a coach or without a quarterback, excuse me, I can't see Coastal um winning this game. I think they might end up winning the game, but that that spread's too big for my blood, so I'm gonna take Northern Illinois. Oh, we're doing pick 'em. I forgot we're doing pick 'em here. I forgot you threw that. I'm gonna still. I, I'm actually gonna go Northern Illinois. Okay. I think they squeak it out. I think they squeak it out. All right. Next, the Boca Raton Bowl. I gotta see who sponsors the Boca Bowl. Who sponsors the Boca Raton Bowl? App State Western Kentucky. A clash of two styles. Ground and pound app state versus the air raid of Western Kentucky. Um, Western Kentucky, obviously, Brian losing their OC. I'm not sure if he is going to um, call this game, but either way, who you got? I'm going to take app state in this one. Um, I think they're going to be able to slow the pace down and, uh, and come away with a victory, whether or not he's calling plays in that game for, for Western Kentucky. So give me app state here. Lock it up with that one. App State as well. I think App State rolls them. I think App State's just one of the better teams. And, unfortunately, the best team in the Sun Belt this year. They had to play them twice, and they could not overcome that. All right. New Mexico Bowl. This is – is this the uh, – is this the Barstool Bowl? The New Mexico I think, Bowl? I think it is. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Effort that real quick. Yeah, that's okay. it. A ESPN has it. Oh no, no, sorry. uh, Barstool is Arizona. The Arizona Bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, UTEP versus Fresno State. Um, Fresno State, obviously, their head coach just took the job at Washington, Um, but I don't think that matters. I think Fresno State is significantly um, more talented than uh, UTEP. So give me Fresno State to. I think Fresno State wins big. Yeah, Fresno State rolls this one. Um, it's just too much talent compared to UTEP. Um, you know, with or without the coach, I think they're going to get get things going and get it done. All right. This is an interesting game. And Independence Bowl, a bowl that will always be on a lot of Hokies' hearts for numerous reasons. UAB versus BYU, Brian. UAB 8-4, BYU ranked 13th, just out of the potential 12-team playoff pitcher at 10-2. Big story on this one, Kalani Sataki was rumored that he was going to be interviewing at Oregon at some point this week. UAB, from from basically, they, they undertakered this thing. They were buried, and they came back alive, and they've been winning and going to bowls since that program got reinstated. So what do you say on this one, Brian? 
I think coach or no, we're looking at a Fresno State situation. I think BYU takes care of business. Um, I think if they don't have their coach, it's going to be closer than I think a lot of people think. But I still like BYU to pull it out. Yeah, I'm with you on that. A couple of the losses for uh, UAB this year, they lost Liberty, lost to Rice, um, lost to a good UTSA team close. But I think BYU just has more talent. Um, in regard with what Kalani Sataki does, whether he takes the Oregon job or not, I think they're just too talented. All right. The Lending Tree Bowl, Eastern Michigan versus Liberty. We'll say on uh, – no, I got this one, right, Brian? Yeah, you're leading on this one. Uh, let's see. Where is the Lending Tree Bowl? There's my first thing I got to know. Lending Tree Bowl is in Mobile, Alabama. Eastern Michigan out of the Mac. Let me just see a couple things here. I'm going to take Liberty. Uh, Well, you know what? Trust in the freeze? I'll I'll take you, Freeze. Uh, Whether Malik Willis is playing or not, I think you will have a good enough game plan to beat a Mac team, regardless who his quarterback is. Okay. I'm going to go opposite you on this one. Give me Eastern Michigan. Um. You looked up Willis isn't playing, is he? <laughs> <laughs> There's still some doubts he'll play, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna ride with that he doesn't. So give me Eastern Michigan. All right, next one, and I think of all these opening games we've got, this one and the one that we're gonna talk about in a few minutes here are the two most interesting or two most interesting games: Oregon State, Utah State. Oregon State, which was a dumpster fire for so many years is now a solid Pac-12 program. Um, the coach out there, I uh, forget his freaking name, and I'm going to find it just because that guy deserves a shout-out. So I'm efforting this because sometimes you just got to mention somebody's name. Jonathan Smith. That guy deserves all the credit in the world for turning them into a competitive team because for about yeah. five years that they were dumpster fire, and – Utah State with Blake Anderson. If you don't know the Blake Anderson story, his wife passed of cancer. They shocked me and Brian both by – they beat San Diego State. I don't think we, that was shocking. They beat the dog shit out of San Diego State. I mean, they pounded them. So, on this game, Brian, Utah State or Oregon State? <sighs> I'm going to go Oregon State with this one. Um, I think, uh, as you said, they're they're playing well. Um, Jonathan Smith has them playing really well out there at Oregon State. I think there's just going to be too much. I think they pull it up. All right. I'm going to go flip-flop on you. I think Utah State takes that momentum of winning the uh, Mountain West, and I think they upset Oregon State. Um, obviously, that game is in L.A. I would, I'm interested to see exactly what Jimmy Kimmel's going to do with it. It'll be really cool to see. All right, Brian. Oh, man. 1A and 1B teams playing each other. ULL, Marshall, and the New Orleans Bowl. Um, Obviously, Billy Napier's gone now. By the way, Billy Napier really started off great with that interview for his first press conference where, hey, stars don't matter. We evaluate players. No. No. 
it's 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 not necessarily that's a bad message, but it's tone deaf considering why they got rid of Mullen. <laughs> exactly. Um, Marshall probably played their worst game of the season against Western Kentucky their last game. Um, I'm going to think ULL with the home field advantage down there in New Orleans, in Louisiana, they uh, they win this game. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. All right, Brian's with me here. Oh, Brian, the next one up here. The Myrtle Beach Bowl. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, the stories we could tell about Myrtle Beach on each other. <laughs> Say 20 years ago. Uh, oh, we're not going to do it. No, those stories. <laughs> uh, not for any sort of public record. Um, ODU versus Tulsa, Brian. Um, ODU beating the fighting Will Healy's to get in. Um, Tulsa, you know, this season had a couple of really, like, good games. Like, if you remember early in the season, they they hung with, you know, Oklahoma State. They hung with Ohio State for a while. Um, they played Cincy tough. They, play, they beat SMU. So, in this game, I mean, as much as I want to pull for somebody in my home state, I, I think Tulsa wins. I think Tulsa actually has a good squad. They just played – four really good teams this year. And instead of having like a nine and three record, you know, they look like a 500 team. I don't think they're that. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually with you. Uh, ODU, I mean, ODU is a great story with what they've been able to do this year. Five in a row. Uh, yeah. Great in the season. But I think Tulsa just has more talent right now and they're, they're playing better. So I think, I think Tulsa pulls it out. All right. We're both going Tulsa there. The Potato Bowl, Wyoming versus Kent State. Uh, this will be – where is the Potato Bowl? Is it still up in Boise? Is it on the blue turf? Tuesday the 21st at 3.30. So, uh, work early that day. Uh, yep, still at Boise. All right, Brian, who you say on this one? Kent State led by that crazy – Offense or Wyoming? Uh, I'm taking the offense. I'm taking Kent State. Um, I, th- I think they'll pull it out. I think they'll score too many points for Wyoming. Yep, I'm with you on that. Um, unless things change, you know, in the next few weeks here, but I, I don't, I don't see that. All right, here's the other of the early bowls. Probably one of the most unique matchups: San Diego State versus UTSA. This is the Frisco Bowl, so it's down in Texas. Um, this is tough. I love San Diego State this year. I watched a couple of their games. Brady Hoke has them going. But the way they looked in that championship game, it was almost like maybe he had gotten a phone call that he was going to get hired somewhere and he forgot how to play. And then UTSA in that shootout against Western Kentucky, holding on for the last second. I'm going to take the old high school football coach. I'm going to say UTSA wins this game. Yeah, I'm going with uh, Texas-San Antonio as well. All right. Um, I think it's going to be a tight one, though, but I think, uh, you know, UTSA has found ways to win most of the year. Uh, I think they're going to find another way to win. 
Yeah, they have one loss all year. So uh, we're, we're both on the UTSA train. All right, Brian, last one. Armed Forces Bowl. We started with Army. We're ending with Army. Mizzou versus Army. Um, this game is going to be on the 22nd. We'll be recording that night, probably watching this game. Um, game is down in Fort Worth, Texas, down at the TCU field. What do you think on this one? I think Army pulls it out. I think Army slows the game down and they pull it out. All right. I'm going to go flip-flop and go opposite of you. I think Mizzou takes this. Um, Mizzou, solid defensive team. Um, but it's the whole preparation. They essentially are getting three weeks to prepare for this game, which always hurts the option. So I'm going to go there. So we got all our stuff locked in for the first part of bowl season. We show up on the 22nd. We will pick the remaining of games, including the college football playoffs. But next week, a little promotion here. Next week is going to be a state of the program episode. Uh, we kind of did one of these last year. We had Dr. Jeremy Counts from Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg join us. Jeremy's joining us again. But this year, Brian, we are bringing on an extra guest. Yes, uh, Jonathan Talley is joining us as well. Um, anybody in the Twitter sphere, uh, y'all know uh, JT. Tally bands. Um, it's going to be fun having him on. It's going to be fun having Jeremy back in, in house as well. Um, that episode was kind of a, uh, a hallmark episode for us as we closed out, uh, 2020 last year, uh, for, for different reasons. Um, uh, I think this one could be, it could top that with a little bit more of a positive spin on it. This, this go around. So I hope y'all, uh, show up, show out and, uh, We'll have the comments wide open. So uh, anybody wants to comment on the video, get some questions out there for Tally, get some questions out there for Jeremy. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll pop those on the screen, let let them interact, and uh, it's going to kind of be a roundtable. We're going to you know have some topics that we're going to bring up, and we're going to let everybody kind of share their piece. So it should be a good time. Oh, it's going to be a great time. Now, Brian, has anything broken in the last almost two hours here? I think we're good to go, buddy. Uh, I haven't seen that uh, Tony Pony is official yet. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Music. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out, catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening, and as always, let's go. Hokies! Okay.